Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. Top of the hour, 1 p.m. on the East Coast, guy dummy Dan Nathan. First market call of 2023 on this Tuesday. If it's Tuesday, Dan, that means it's CME Group. That's our sponsor where risk meets opportunity and always thinking our data partners. Fact set. Lot to talk about out of respect for what happened last night. I won't go into a sports diatribe. Yeah. But obviously, just a lot happening here in the market today. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, you know what, Guy? I mean, a pretty solemn sort of moment last night, and I know that you did want to talk about your New York football giants, but it's kind of interesting that the takeaway clearly was, um, you know, sports, sport, and life is life, right, bud? And um, that was uh, that was a tough one here. And, you know, we th- we talk about this all the time with the markets, and, you know, it's interesting listening to, like, Joe Buck and, and Aikman trying to put some words to that situation. And I was thinking to myself, you know, you and I have been on the CNBC Fast Money desk at times with some – really bad stuff has happened. You know what I mean? And it's kind of really hard to talk about things that you don't know a whole heck of a lot about or whatever. So I thought that was kind of interesting here. Um, Thoughts on just in general, you know, we've been talking about markets in difficult times and pandemics and wars and this and that. Sometimes it feels a little awkward to speak about the thing that you're there to do through the lens in which you're there to do it at a time. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah. I mean, obviously when it comes to what you mentioned about CNBC or when we're on air at different times when awful things happen, you, you obviously try to respect the yeah. event. But then what we're tasked to do is try to talk about it in terms of you know what it means to the market. But you do it out of an abundance of caution with your words and respect for the event as well. And I think, listen, I watched from I would I put the game on because I knew it was going to be a great game. And I watched from kickoff until midnight or so just listening yeah. to the coverage. And I will tell you from. Um, I think it was Ryan Clark to Lisa Salter to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, whoever was in the booths. I thought they did a remarkable job under extraordinarily difficult circumstances. And that, you know, you've seen guys, you've seen gals get hurt on the field, knee injuries, leg injuries, shoulders, that type of stuff, you know, carted away, but you're always waiting for that thumbs up to see everything's okay. And you typically get it. That was not that situation last night. And it was immediately clear that that was one of those things that you never want to see, but unfortunately did. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. All right. Well, switching gears and we're all we're all uh, thinking about DeMar there. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about um, some tweets here, Guy. Why wouldn't we talk about some I love tweets the tweets. Here? You know, it's, it's funny. Over the weekend, this was on January 1st, uh, Michael Burry of the Big Short fame. Don't confuse him with Danny Moses, our main man from mm-hmm. On the Tape. Also of Big Less fame, though. Would you say less fame than Michael Burry? But this tweet was kind of interesting. Inflation peaked. But it's not the last peak of this cycle. We're likely to see CPI lower, possibly negative in the second half of 2023. And the U.S. in recession by any definition, Fed will cut and government will stimulate and we will have another inflation spike. It's not hard. You know what also is not hard is that I think I've heard Guy Adami, Guy C. Adami, basically say that same thing for months now. Really since I think that peak June, July CPI period. What does it mean to you that somebody as prominent as him with the following that he has is starting to say that? Is that becoming consensus, Guy? Because Nostradami was in effect here again. No, I appreciate it. He's reinforcing some of my beliefs. And again, at the time, I think we said it, that 9.1 print, I think we collectively said, look, this is probably going to be the peak number. And then we talked about pesky and persistent along the way. And that that proved to be correct. Now, what he's saying here is, yeah, inflation's going to obviously come down. I don't know if it gets negative. I mean, he's a lot smarter than I am, and maybe it does at a certain point. Um, But what's going to wind up happening, unfortunately, and something we've said, when the market when the market perceives that the job for the Federal Reserve has been done, they will accelerate things that are inflationary and you're going to see it in the form of commodities. And one of the things I've said is, yeah, that's great, but then commodities will take its cue. And then we're going to be right back in the problem that we started with. And to a certain extent, that's what he's saying. And this is, you talk about analogs. A lot of people are making the connection between 1972, 1973, when it appeared as though the inflation genie was put back in the bottle only to have it come back in spades in 73. Obviously, these people understand history. So my sense is they won't make that same mistake. But that's clearly out there. And the market's going to take its cues from that. So I'm glad that he put it out because, you know, you like it when people people that you respect reinforce some of your ideas. Uh, Again, I don't know if we go negative. But now that it's out there, a lot of people will start to talk about Funny. it. You might be surprised. I disagree a little bit. I think that those those 70s analogs, there was just a lot of different things going on, For at least from what I read. You were there. Um, you were a very young boy um, back then. But I, I think that you might see one last gasp, but I don't think you're going to see new highs and things like crude. And I think then they're done. Um, so to me, like, you know, again, we'll see how this plays out. Here's another thing when we talk about what's becoming consensus here, guy. This is Sam Rowe. I don't know where Sam is now. He used to be a business insider in Yahoo for years, but he's quote tweeting. You know how to quote tweet something, mm-hmm, right? He mm-hmm. quote, he's quote tweeting Savita Subramanian, who we love um, over there at Bank America, talking about sell side equity um, sentiment. Um, it's declined a lot in 2022, but it's gotten so bearish, it's bullish. Um, again, We've been calling for the fact that all of these strategists have been way high on their earnings estimates for S&P 500 earnings for 2022 and obviously 2023. We've highlighted on numerous occasions some of the data from our main man, John Butters, over there at FactSet, who writes the Earnings Insight blog. He had some data a couple of weeks ago saying that strategists generally one year out are 7% like overzealous about mm-hmm. their S&P 500 earnings estimates. So they're starting to come down pretty quickly. But once we hit a level of bearishness, does that consensus become bullish, Guy? You know, I understand why Savita would say that. I understand why people would retweet that because you know there is a collective 
want for the market to go higher. So anytime you see something can be construed as bullish, you're going to put it out there. But remember, there was consensus bullishness for years, and that consensus proved to be right for years. So just because something is consensus doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be wrong. Sometimes the consensus can be right. So you're going to see bounces along the way. I mean, we've talked about it here. You're going to see a move like we saw back in June into August like we saw from October into late November, early December, without question. The problem is, I think they're going to be short-lived. At a certain point, the capitulation will be such that we put in a longer-term bottom. But again, I don't think you think we're there yet, and I don't think, I, you know, I know that I don't think we're yeah. there yet as well. And now more and more people, we're going to look at some of these price targets, are starting to really ratchet things down. So I understand that when everybody's on one side of the boat, people typically want to go the other way. But you know what? They can be right for a period of time as well. No doubt about it. All right. So we have an S&P at 3,800. Last year at this time, <clears throat> it was 4,800. Briefly, our main man, Peter Bookvar, over there at Bleakly Advisors, um, he's tweeting, quote tweeting, about a silly tradition. There's a guy named Ger Gavin who put a bunch of the bulge bracket firms, their year-end targets for 2023. So he's saying... That's silly. Um, most of them are up a little bit. Um, Barclays is 37.25. Um, but again, guy, thoughts here because we have an S&P at 3,800. Um, and now I, I guarantee you that all of these estimates last year at this time were calling for what, 5,500 or something mm-hmm. like that. So to your point, I mean, we don't have to spend much time on the silly tradition, but it is interesting to keep a track of that stuff. No, I do. I think it's only interesting in so much as to see where the discrepancies are, who's high, who's low, you know, what consensus seems to be when you average these numbers out. I mean, I'm eyeballing this and my sense is the average is probably right around 4,000 or thereabouts, which is, you know, people don't want to put themselves out there. In reality, it's how you get there that matters. I think you would agree with that as well. And so we look at these things day to day I mean, we don't just turn on the cameras here on this first day of the year and then turn it back on at the end of the year and say, okay, the S&P is here. It's the way that it gets there. And I'm, I'm still convinced that the way we potentially get to the high of 4,300 by BMO is the first crater for the first few months of this year. And then maybe see some sort of relief rally in the back of the year on maybe, you know, the Fed switching gears or something like that. Short of that, you know, I don't know how these numbers really are all that interesting. Well, you're going to like this from our friend Doug Cass over there at Seabreeze, who writes for Real Money. He says, few try to be shepherds. They are all sheep Sheep. as far as the strategists are concerned. Um, We always love uh, Doug's insights there. Um, Here's the last tweet, and then we're going to get to some charts here, guy. So this is Stephanie Link, our friend um, from Hightower. She is a uh, head strategist and portfolio manager. She tweeted this yesterday, and it just kind of caught my attention. She's seeing seeing more of the strategist lower SPX estimates uh, for 2023. Um, We know that. um, We just talked about this, and she's seeing some of those estimates come down to that 180, 190 range. Keep in mind, the five-year average is $184 in earnings, and equities just fell 20% last year, discounting that a lot already. Now, I respectfully... um, you know, disagree with Steph there because a five-year average on EPS is maybe not that useful considering, you know, if you think about what we've seen over the last five years, I guess the bigger point that I responded to is that the five-year average of the yield on the 10-year 
is 2%. Right. And here we are at 375. It was 385 when I wrote this tweet. Isn't that the most important input right now as we think about earnings estimates for this year? And obviously, this goes into that conversation about inflationary pressures and what might happen. Even if the Fed starts to indicate they're going to pivot, you know, rates will come down a little bit, but they're going to stay a little bit better bid. And really what that speaks to is a stagflationary environment if they have to pivot. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Stephanie's work as well, but and I'm not suggesting she left things out on purpose, but to your point, I mean, a lot has changed over that period of time. I don't think $185 or $184 in this environment is the same that it was three, four, five years ago. It's the world because of is rates, much but, different but it's because, because of, of rates. rates. That's yeah. exactly right. And yeah. it's you just by definition, the higher rates go, the lower you should be paying for earnings. And I think that's where people to come into grips with. But remember, I mean, people ratcheting down from extraordinarily high levels in terms of their S&P earnings forecast. I mean, at some point, I think I saw $280 or something at one point during this past year. And now things are starting to get ratcheted down, rightly so. By the way, they can come in lower than that in this environment as well. I mean, we could be in for an earnings recession too. And if we see declining earnings, you know, what's the right multiple for that? So yes, in a vacuum, we've been at 185 or so uh, over the course of time, but the world has changed significantly vis-a-vis rates and other things as well. So it's, it's again, it's how you get there, right? So I, again, I understand that people want to be bullish and they're looking for things to be bullish and, you know, grasping at those straws. But if you have to ask yourself a question, if you're watching this right now, does it feel like we've capitulated to the downside? If your answer is yes, then I think you buy stocks hands over fist. I'm not one of those people though. Yeah, you make a great point about Steph's work too. And and I the reason we're highlighting it is because how much I actually respect her. And and you and I, she's been on our podcast. We've talked to her a great deal about a lot of this sort of stuff. And so um, I just think it's really important to get a sense of what some of the smart people are thinking and saying. And Twitter give us, gives us that opportunity to do so and lets us tease the stuff that we like to do here. Um, let's look at the S&P 500 here. We don't really have to talk about that downtrend. We knew that there was that kind of brief break um, a few weeks ago above it. It was not sustainable reversed and it's really been nasty and you know if i was drawing this chart i might have drawn that uptrend um a little differently and i should have because um i did draw it i just put it in the wrong place i mean we're below that uptrend right Mm -hmm. If, if you look at it there and so you know it really feels like this consolidation guy in and around this 3,800 level looks like it's going to break. And then that's how you probably get to that retest of those October lows. And if you think about what is the impetus, well, let's look at the NASDAQ here because we didn't even draw, these are the NASDAQ futures guy. We didn't even draw a support line here because this one really feels like it's going to break. And when you think about out of the gate this morning, what we saw, Apple was bid up 1% or you know so, and on news that they're telling their their um, suppliers to maybe cut orders for some important products. So there's, and I got to tell you, let, let, let's just move from the NASDAQ to Apple because Apple just dipped below $2 trillion yeah. in market cap. I mean, this is one you've been all over here. Um, this is not a great looking chart. And, and I wonder, remember Jan 2nd, 2019? That was after a really difficult Q4 in 2018. And one of the reasons why our markets got hit so high is we were raising interest rates and we had a growth scare, uh, a Chinese growth scare, a global growth scare, and it really hit Apple hard. They pre-announced negatively on the second day of 2019 and they guided down. There's the first time they did that in over 10 years. So talk to me about the NASDAQ and talk to me about the importance of Apple. And are we about to see 
a downgrade to guidance because this stock down 4% is really sticking out like a sore throat. Uh, sore thumb in the NASDAQ. You also see what you have happening here. For the first time in a very long time, you have a downwardly sloping 200-day moving average. We haven't seen that in quite a long time in Apple, number one. Again, now this stock is longer. It's been over a year since it made its all-time high. I don't remember the last time you saw that type of duration. Stock now down probably over 30% from that all-time high, making new 52-week lows on a day after you saw the news last night that, you know, the Chinese are basically going to try to open things up again. By the way, at one point last night, S&P futures were significantly higher. And I'm sure a lot of these stocks were bid up on the back of that. Again, I think people have come to the realization that, yeah, that's probably a good thing in the long term. But it also is going to create more of an inflation problem for the Federal Reserve. Again, my opinion. So I think that's what the market's coming to grips with. And we have said, Dan, that Apple's not going to be immune or impervious from all the things that are going on in the world. And that's proven to be true for quite some time when the market sold off, there was this flight to perceive safety in the form of Apple. And we tried to caution people by saying, listen, we understand what's going on here, but that's not going to have any legs at a certain point. Apple's going to give up the ghost and that's what's happening. So what's the right level? Well, we're getting pretty close. Um, you know, you're getting towards a level now where if Apple were to make the $7 or so they're expected to earn next year, you're talking about in what, an 18 or so much. You're talking yeah. about a market multiple right now in Apple-ish. Question yeah. is, are they going to make those numbers, right? And will we see negative EPS growth? Will we see negative revenue growth? And you don't get rewarded for that in this environment. And you can trade at a trough multiple at a certain point. And that's what we're seeing here. It's funny though, you know, if you'd asked people a year ago, You'll have the opportunity to buy Apple in the first trading day of next year at $125. People would have been, sign me up. Yeah. There's no way that's going to happen, yet here we are. Well, it's interesting, Guy. You see the level that this kind of, and again, is it support? Not really. I mean, you have to go back to you know late 2020 when the vaccine gap there um, above 100. And there's really no support below this kind of 120 dollar level down to 100 but think about this man if it traded 100 bucks and i saw some people some traders on, on twitter over the weekend you know kind of making some predictions about some some big stocks or whatever and and some people i follow who i like and i think are smart people were saying i think you know apple's going to be below 100 at some point this year think about that that would nearly be a 50 percent retracement from its mm -hmm. all-time highs you know right now it's just below two trillion i mean that would be truly astounding because this is not a stock that's trading at ridiculous multiples it's got the moat it's got the balance sheet it's got the management it's got the monopoly you know all those sorts of things so i think at some point like if you see and i think i said this on fast money there and i if i was short i'd be covering at 110 if it got there on a, on a downgrade to guidance from the company and it might be the sort of capitulation you need in a name like this carter braxton worth worth charting has mentioned this on numerous occasions on market call and on fast money how this stock relative to the s p had been underperforming mm -hmm. for a while here so again, I think there is some fundamental news um, to come out. I think reshoring for this company is bad for their margins. And to your point about valuation with the expected growth, it's not there. You know what I mean? So if they were to guide down, the difference between you know having weaker demand but then also higher costs to make those products for the next cycle reshoring is going to be uh, something that people makes people second second guess. I guess this premium multiple does that make I, sense? Listen, I, if it. And again, it's important. I'm not an Apple hater. I don't really care one way or another about Apple. It's, it does, you know, it, it really has no impact on my life whatsoever. I'll say this though: if you didn't know 
it was Apple. And if you just saw a chart, and then I gave you the metrics that you just pointed out, and that we talk about all the time, single-digit EPS growth, single-digit revenue yeah. growth, declining margins, all those trading at a certain point was trading at a premium to the broader market. What would you say? You'd say the stock's going lower, and that's what's happened. When people see that it is Apple, they sort of, their brain gets confused, I think. And I, I think a lot of people try to make excuses for the stock. And again, you know, that whole own it, don't sell it thing or trade it thing. I, I get it, I yeah. guess. But Apple's no different than any other stock at a certain point. And as you have mentioned, and as I have mentioned now, in the last six years, you've probably seen five, six, maybe seven, 30, 30 to 50% yeah. trough, uh, peak to trough declines. And we're in the we're in a 30% decline right now. So it's not like it doesn't have history behind it. Yeah, and if we can go quickly back, just yeah. real quick to the NASDAQ chart, Again, we're going to look at Tesla in a second without because you have to. But I mean, there's no real support here. I mean, this is again, this, if you look at it, is a perfect downtrend. We've done everything right. So to think that we're not going to trade the October low and take it out, I think is foolish. That's a series of lower highs and lower lows. And until we probably meaningfully close above the 200 day moving average, which seems light years away right now, I think that trend is intact. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, and again, you know, we have, there's an air pocket. If we were to kind of look at the NASDAQ futures chart back to those pre-pandemic highs, I mean, you got another thousand points in the NDX to the downside there. So um, at least another 10%. Um, guy, we got to talk about the VIX here. We get a lot of questions about the VIX. I think a lot of our viewers, listeners think that we know a bit more about the VIX than they do. We don't. It's one of these weird instruments that a lot of people follow, right? Mm -hmm. And they're expecting on a day like today to see a VIX that's ripping and it's not and we drew that 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 kind of uptrend line that's been in place over the last year and we're kind of getting to a point where when you see the vix 20 or sub 20 you know that that seems to be a great time to sell stocks ultimate complacency here but why isn't the vix you know trading a bit better it just seems like yeah there was a lot of damage done in equities last year but we closed down less than 20%. And if you think about what we're in for over the next kind of, let's call it a couple months as it relates to um, expectations on the fundamentals on earnings of companies that are dictating these downgrades to S&P earnings, it seems like that the party just might get, get started right here. Yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting. I've tried to explain this probably awkwardly, but I'll try again for the new, new viewers. You know, I think historically when the VIX spikes to, let's just say that 35 level that we pointed out a number of different times, which in the short term typically proves to be a bit of a top, it typically is for reasons that somewhat come out of the blue. And we just sort of, you know, you can't foresee it. And that's when the VIX goes from 23 to 35 over the two-day period. I think what we've seen and what we talk about, I mean, the fact that we've been talking about the Federal Reserve now for since this time last year or earlier than that, I think people have tried to prepare for these sell-offs in the form of probably owning protections, which yeah. to a certain extent mitigates the move lower, which is why you haven't seen the panic selling to the downside. The only, as I said, the only panic you've really seen over the last year or so outside of maybe one or two days has been buying to the upside. So- I think the reason why the VIX is probably muted is because so much of what we're talking about has been basically been out there and been discussed at length. So I think yeah. people are prepared. Now, could there be an event that nobody's ready for? Absolutely. Could it be in the form of China, Taiwan? Without question. I mean, more and more rumblings about that for sure, or something with Russia, Ukraine. I mean, things that are unforeseen. So I think to a certain extent, that's what we're seeing. I'll say this, though. 
I don't think this is particularly bullish. Again, I think if the VIX were to get back to 35, like we saw in June, like we saw in October, uh, that would be the key. That would be, to me, the signal to at least get out of your shorts, if not get long stocks for a trade. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. That's a good synopsis. I mean, listen, again, you know, we don't have any like magic answers as it relates to how this thing trades. But you'd think in a day like today with some of the single stock action from some major leaders that um, the VIX would, would be um, a little higher, especially after what, a three day weekend um, or so. Let's look at the 10 year really quickly, guy, because this is a big mover here today. We know that yields had Amazing. a nice move up from what, three, 3.45 or something to 3.85. Here we are at 3.75 here, you know. The only thing that could be worse for stocks right now are high valuation stocks that are getting hit on my board, at least as I look at my fact set machine, is if rates were screaming higher here. And the CME FedWatch tool, again, this is kind of interesting when we think about what the expectations are for the Feb 1 meeting. It's a very high likelihood of another 25 basis points. So we're going to be at 475 in Fed funds. And then uh, at the March meeting, it's a greater than, what, 55% chance that we have a 5% Fed funds on the upper bound here. So, again, you know, yields on the 10-year on the coming in a little bit, despite the fact, though, that the Fed fund futures, at least the way the CME FedWatch tool tracks them, are saying that in less than two months, we're going to have a 5%, um, you, know, uh, yeah. you know, Fed funds rate. And we'll look at the CME FedWatch tool, but let's just discuss this for a second. This could be, and again... Two's tens went out to about a negative 83 basis points or so. I think recently it got into about 50 basis points ish. Um, this could be that inflection point, maybe, where if the market starts to slide, flight to quality in the form of bonds, moving 10 year yields lower, which we're seeing. But I think what's going to, again, my opinion, what's going to happen is the two years probably going to hang in there somewhere around four and a quarter, somewhere between four and a quarter, four and a half. So, you actually might be on the precipice of the twos tens inversion, which got again got out to minus eighty three basis points, moved back another thirty five basis points the other way ish. I think we might be on the precipice of that thing going back out to eighty, and then maybe getting up to that negative one percent that we talked about. So keep today's a really important. I think today's really important day for that. Yep. You've obviously seen a big move higher in ten year yields. I think it might have. I think it might have capitulated and starting to turn back, and maybe we get down to that trend line again. Yeah, if they can flash forward and go to the U.S. dollar index, the Dixie here, and I think this is kind of interesting. It's almost like the opposite chart guy today. If you look at the U.S. dollar index, the bounce that it's having, and again, this is some decent little support. It's been kind of banging around this kind of 104 level or so, and that takes you back to you know last spring, summer-ish. Um, you know, are these two things connected in your opinion? Because again, normally you would think that stronger dollar, you might see higher yield. Mm -hmm. What do you think's going on right here? I don't know the that's I'm glad you asked that because I do not know. You should see, I would think, because the dollar's been sort of holding the support on the move we're seeing in bonds today, the dollar should be giving it up. And it's not, it's bouncing, which is not again. If this were to continue, if yields were tenure yields were to continue to go lower, again, I understand this is less than one day, but let's just play it out for a second. If yields were to continue to go lower and the dollar has found a bottom and starts to go higher, I could tell you almost categorically that that won't be bullish for stocks. And, you know, the stronger dollar headwind will be back and yields will not be going lower uh, in a supportive fashion for high valuation, high growth names. Yields will be going lower because growth is a concern. So, just again, this is one of those. I know it's the first day of the trading year. I get it, a lot of strange things, but just keep this in mind and just sort of bookmark 
the action we're seeing specifically in the dollar and yields today? Because to your point, it really doesn't make all that much sense. Yeah, I agree with that. But it's again, why do we bring it up? Because sometimes it's just kind of worth kind of trying to tease some of these things out here and figure out what's going on. And again, it's the first trading day of the year. And a lot of people are kind of resetting their portfolios. And and so sometimes you just kind of see some weird action here and there. Um, Let's talk about this move in crude. You know, it had this move to the downtrend that's been in place, I think, since the summer guy. And, And, you know, it was a nice little bounce off of support where maybe it should have here. And we're going the opposite way. And I wonder if the Dixie move has something to do with this rejection at that downtrend in crude. Uh, And then let's talk natural gas because there's some headlines. And I think that's a really interesting one, too. Well, nat gas has been a disaster if you're long. We'll talk about that. But let's go back to crude real quick, because this is important. When I saw, again, the China headlines last night, I'm like, okay, WTI is going to probably up, you know, buck and a half, two bucks, you know, whatever percent that is. Brent's going to be up the, the commensurate amount. And we're probably going to be through this downtrend line that we've been drawing for so long. And that actually looked to be the case for about 15 minutes until it wasn't. So I don't know really what's going on here. I'm surprised that those headlines didn't create more of a buying frenzy. But again, it's the first, maybe you're seeing strange things on the beginning of the year. Maybe it sort of plays itself out. But that downtrend is in place. And if I said what I said about Apple, that downwardly sloping 200-day, I have to be consistent here about crude. That 200-day that moving, moving average is now sloping lower, which is not bullish. That support line is obviously there. You know, I still think we take out that downtrend, but with each passing day, I think it's getting more and more difficult. And today's price action is puzzling in a word. Yeah, I'll tell you this, man. You know, we're going to talk about Tesla in a second, but- Lord help Tesla if crude oil crashes. I'm being serious. Yeah, no, you're right. You, you take you take out all this incentive, you know, by a lot of people who say, you know, that this is the way forward with EVs, that sort of thing. I mean, you know, I read this over the weekend, and let's just throw up the Tesla. We might as well at this point um, that they have forecast that they're going to sell 20 million cars a year. This is Tesla by 2030, guy. We are in 2023 right now. Okay, that. You know, Tesla just shipped 1.3 million cars last year. That was what 10% of the SARS here in, in, in the US or something. So when you talk about why is the stock down 74%, why has it lost eight hundred billion dollars in market cap? Maybe the question should be why is it th- still three hundred and forty billion yeah. in market cap? When you think about that, you think about where we might be from an energy standpoint, where we are from a competitive standpoint. Again, this is interesting. We drew one line, guy, and that is basically back to about sixty-nine. I think he he um, that was the pre-pandemic high. Um, man, I don't know how we don't go there right now. If you think about this, stocks at what 106 or something down 14% because they missed deliveries on numbers that were already, um, you know, that were already like lowered repeatedly by the street. So Wall Street consensus have been coming down. How does the stock bottom? Well, it bottoms on a huge volume day. When I talk about huge volume day, I'm talking about probably 10 times normal volume. It probably bottoms on some ridiculous headline that nobody sees coming and it probably bottoms at the levels you're talking about it's interesting george noble just tweeted something counter trend trading counter trend is a fool's errand and i understand that you know we've pointed out a couple times that you do see counter trend rallies in this market and you have seen them i'll tell you uh danny moses came on the night that elon musk went on that twitter spaces yeah. 
I think the stock that day closed around 123, which had been the low that we had seen in the aftermarket was up to 129. And Danny said, I'm more bearish now than I've been, period, on the back of that. And that proved to be correct. So rallies are clearly being sold. And I think to your point, the capitulation takes place if you're looking for something on an eight to 10 times normal volume day and on a headline that nobody sees coming. And it just doesn't seem like it's there yet. And I understand that Tesla, you know, people want to say it's a technology company. I get it. It's obviously some amalgam of a tech company and an auto company. But just do yourself a favor and just look at the valuations and the market cap of a Ford and a GM and their revenue and just and just sort of, I don't know, casually compare it to what Tesla did at its peak and what Tesla is right now. So there's still room here. And it's not like we're saying this today. I mean, we've been yeah. saying this for longer uh, than most people. And we've been saying it in earnest since the whole Twitter thing started way back when. Yeah, well, I'll tell you. I mean, I was very early on this for a whole host of reasons on, on the on the negative on the short side here, and um, you know, I mean, again, I'm not, uh, I, you know, I, I do I think it's a great press at 106 dollars playing for a move back to 70 or whatever. No, I mean, like again, you know, the story to me is unwinding in, in a very unnatural way. I do think it's interesting that Elon Musk has not tweeted in a couple of days. He's responded to um, a couple of things. I think his you know habit and the time that he's spending on there is clearly if I'm a Tesla shareholder, I am irate about the time and energy that he's spending tweeting out memes and talking about culture wars and all this sort of stuff. I mean, to me, it's like, are you a good steward of the capital that that these investors have, have, you know what I mean, have basically placed their trust in you? And I think he's proving to be not the case. If you think about how much wealth has been lost off the highs of this stock over the last year it's 2x what was made from its ipo in 2010 mm -hmm. until this point so to me i think that you have to start taking a very um hard look at this stuff so you know again and, I, and, I don't and have, i agree with you and quickly you know there'll be people out there that say thank god i don't own tesla guess what you know if you're in any mutual fund or there's yeah. a there's a there's almost a, an absolute certainty that you own uh tesla and, and you know, I think people are going to start coming to grips with that well, as well. So, you and I made you and I made that point on OK Computer last week on the, on the tech podcast that we do here. And again, you know, for a lot of people, you said who don't even know what the ticker of Tesla is, they would never even consider buying, you know, uh, an electric car, or whatever. You own that stock because it was added to the <laughs> S and P in late 2020, and the stock doubled from the announcement on November 16, 2020, and then it went in literally at the all time highs, like 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 very near them. So again, I mean, they started buying it, you know, and they had some gains on the way up, but it's been really hurting the S and P on the way down. All right, last thing, guy, before we get out of here, bud. So we tweet out every day a little preview of what we're going to do here, and some of the the bullets I had was stock, same as it ever was, once in a lifetime opportunity in Apple, question mark. This must be a, the place uh, in Tesla, question mark. Take me to the river of crude mm. oil. Go I mean, nothing there, nothing at all. Athens, like Georgia, right. uh, okay. talking heads. Also, REM out of Athens, Georgia. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, what was the name of that Southern rock band that had a one album and then sort of fell into obscurity, but a lot of great music comes out of oh, Athens, of Georgia. I was yeah. never a big talking heads guy, but I understand I like why people are drawn to them. 
Rock Lobster and what not, have you. Live, live album. No, not Rock Lobster. Live album. Stock, stop making sense. Rock Lobster was that. Um, oh, that's the B-52s. The, the B-52s. Yeah, they're the same yeah, band. That, that don't know. They, they are not. Didn't okay. that guy, didn't he, didn't he have like a uh, Broadway show? The Talking Yeah, Heads David guy? Byrne just did. And yeah. he, I, I actually would love to have seen it. But, I know, uh, it I know we try to clip these things, but I will say I'd rather stick pins in my All right, but regions. hold on, guy. Guy, just so you know. On one of these um, New Year's Eve balls, like like on TV, David Byrne and Miley Cyrus sang um, a David Bowie song, and I can't remember what it was. I just saw it on the Twitter, a little brief thing. So talk about a mashup right there. Yeah. Not one that was on your bingo card, was it, guy? No, no. And it's it's interesting you say that. I would rather stand amongst the million throngs of people from noon until midnight on a shitty rainy day than listen to live or tape a yeah. miley cyrus david byrne mashup of a david bowie song i'm as a ma- you know i'd rather buy season tickets to the freaking mets and have to go all right but here's that. a question i had for you what do you think abc was thinking the fine people at the american broadcasting company when that georgia ohio state game was going right up until midnight did you see that and they you know they had their big shindig going down there at times square and i think the announcer said people don't leave right now because this thing is probably more exciting than what's going on that, going that saturday fo- i mean i know we're we're running like that saturday football that michigan tcu game was ridiculous yeah. and the ohio state georgia game i mean that was a great those were two great college yeah. football games if this january 9th game is you know half of what those two games were we're in for a great national title. I know everybody loves Georgia repeat. I think they're nine and a half point favorites. Do not wow. count out this TCU team. They're gritty as hell. All right. Well, on that note, guys. On that of- note, yeah. market call went five minutes late. Sorry, right. folks, but thanks for joining as always. Thanks, obviously, for everything last year. We hope to build upon last year. This year, I want to thank our sponsor, CME Group, obviously, thank FactSet, our data provider. We'll be back tomorrow, Wednesday, I believe, with the great Carter Braxton work for the first time in the new year, Dan Nathan. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Guy Dami. We'll see you tomorrow.